Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This episode is the second in our three-part discussion with Magic the Gathering artist Titus Lunter. We talk in this episode a bit about Titus's own experience and journey in his process of becoming an artist, as well as his opinions on the announcement of Magic Fest and what the Grand Prix scene should evolve into as we go forward. You also will have noticed that it's been about two weeks since our last episode published, and that's not an accident. Going forward, our regular publishing schedule is going to be every other week, a bi-weekly schedule, because we want to offer you the best quality of content and the best quality of publication, and we feel that that more spaced out publishing schedule will help us better achieve those ends with our busy schedules in our own personal lives. So... Without any further ado, let's get to the show. So, Tice, one of the things that we had kind of was a talk about, we, we, you and I and Alex were talking a little bit about this, and I hope you don't have to repeat yourself too much, but just what your process has kind of been becoming an artist, because you, you mentioned, and we've seen this before, that you weren't classically trained for art. I mean, this mm. wasn't something that you took schooling for is i mean you started off kind of self-taught and self-directed which has made your journey i think very interesting as you've been asking wizards to push because you have focused initially on a a very specific portion of your art and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that well i mean sure i I think now now is as good a time as any um to to talk about the actual reality of, of, of becoming an artist, or at least my reality of, of becoming an artist, right? <laughs> Which is probably in a way also cathartic for me because uh, I'm not hiding the fact, but I am in therapy because this job is really difficult and I've gone through some terrible during my time of being an artist. So first time on record, I'll talk about timelines of what happens, right? So this is my story, not for, for everybody else, but a lot of people say that I wanted to be an artist when I was six years old and I've been drawing since I was six years old, stuff like that. That wasn't me at all. Um, I was incredibly lazy. Uh, (laughs) My mom was an art teacher. My dad was an economist. And in high school, I failed most of, um, most of my classes that were, you know, math, economics, all that kind of stuff. I was, I was terrible at it. I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't really trying. So I figured, you know what? I suck at that. So I might as well do art. And then I, I tried to go to art school. I got rejection after rejection. After, I got 18 rejections in two years of every single art school. So I went into like um, a middle, like a gap year where I went to the shitty faux art school, whatever, in preparation of going to the actual one. Didn't really put in any effort there either because I figured, you know, art is this personal ethereal thing. So I can just do whatever I want, which is not the case. Uh, I failed to get into any art school again, so I went into a hybrid of art school and uh, teaching. So I actually uh, studied two years of becoming a teacher, and I thought, you know what, why, why not? Why not? Why not become a teacher? Um, ain't so bad. Then a new school opened up, which was a game design school, which also did concept art. And I had been enjoying concept art from from the 90s from a, um, a Japanese artist called Yoshitaka Amano, who did this stuff for Final Fantasy. Um, and I thought, you know, it might as well. How hard can that be? So again, very half-assed and casual. I just switched education again, 
went to that school, learned a lot about 3D and a little bit more about discipline. And it wasn't until 2008, which was my second year in of that school, so five years in, in total of just, you know, post high school, that I realized that I needed to really apply myself in order to get anywhere. And I was stuck because I had no formal training. I wasn't paying attention in art school. And even the art school which I went to was mostly focused on teaching anyway. So they never talked about any of the fundamentals, form, shape, lighting, perspective, all that kind of stuff. So I started to teach myself that stuff. But you're coming from a point where you not have enough info. So you just kind of get bits and pieces of information that you're then trying to make something out of. Uh, and I managed to cobble together a portfolio that was good enough to allow me to go to one game company. I think I sent in excess of 150 applications over the course of two years trying to get anywhere. I graduated in 2010 after really busting my ass. I, I, I went from zero to industry ready for concert art in two years. And that was not because I was that good of an artist. I just was smart enough to understand what that job needed at the time. Right, which was a lot of photo bashing and, and other stuff just to get the environments done. I knew that there was a lot of people interested in painting characters and monsters, but not environments. So I figured, okay, fuck it, let's do that. It's probably easier anyway. Because um, I don't have to learn anatomy and that seems like a whole you know, thing. So <laughs> I'm, I, up, until, up until that point, I was still a little bit more disciplined, but still kind of casual and trying to figure all that out. And then I went uh, to a job abroad in 2010 working for um, a company where we made the game Never Dead, which is by Konami, which is this ridiculously bad game. Um, you should check it out. It's, it's hilarious. You can get disembodied and your head is rolling and all that stuff, which is, which is hilarious. Um, but I thought everything was kind of peachy and, uh, and me and Suzanne, we'd met, met each other a couple months prior to that. And we thought, you know, we know each other for seven months. Let's go abroad. Let's move together abroad. Um, and after the first day I, I come home, I was like, I had a pretty good first day and my inbox was spammed with emails. I had hundreds of emails. So I thought, okay, that's a little fishy. And I opened them up and most of them were death threats. And I thought, I have missed something. Somebody online on one of the communities had accused me of plagiarism. And within the span of an hour, everyone who I thought was my friend had disappeared. They were gone. Um, I was about to lose my job over it. I was kicked out of every single community. Like my whole world came crashing down because somebody thought it would be prudent um, to do that, which, which caused a lot of grief. and a lot of introspection that was required. I didn't paint for about six months. Um, I managed to hold on to my job, but after after six months of not painting and, and being in a strange country, you know, with no friends, not knowing anybody, trying to get through the day, uh, I thought, you know, this is just not working. So I moved back to the Netherlands, uh, which is when I started playing Magic. That was like, uh, yeah, around 2010, 2011. And you know, through magic, I made, I just ran into some old school friends and they had really not known what was going on. So they didn't really give a shit and they were still supporting me. I had gotten emails from the school that, you know, without asking me, they were, or asking my side of the story, they were considering canceling my diploma. And I was like, you know what, just do whatever, man. I don't, I don't care anymore. This is ridiculous. And it took a lot of months and playing magic and taking a break from everything to, finally get back on that horse and, and start again. 
and the after effects of that accusation has have you know lasted for years i've lost jobs in 2012 2013 got rejected for jobs in 2014 that's four years after simply because i now had that stigma which then made me realize that this is not going to go away the only thing that i can do because you know your reputation is all that you have so i figured that if i don't have a reputation then i might as well get really 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 good at art i might as well do that so you know, I set myself the goal that what is the most prestigious thing that I know? Magic. What do I enjoy? Magic. Okay, good. I'm going to work for magic. And it took three years of scraping together portfolio pieces and finding a few minutes to do it and taking on ass jobs and moving abroad a million times. I think by the time it was 2016, me and Suzanne had moved 17 times, most of them abroad. Uh, I'd lost my father in the process. I'd lost most of my family in the process. I'd lost all of my friends in that process. I had to make new friends, teach myself all the new things. And this is not a story about how how sad it is or how difficult it is, but it's a story about trying to change your own point of view. Like you're the only one who's responsible for how you move on from anything that happens. You know, everybody who says, "Oh, I can't do that," or it's 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 nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Um, so my road to becoming a professional artist was fueled as much by not caring as caring too much about not being invested to being invested way too much about sadness as much as anger. And, you know, you can ignore it for as much as you want, but at some point that does kind of creep into your work where I wanted to hide so much from the world around me that the only thing I wanted to get good at was making pictures that made people immediately feel like they were in that place. Because if I could paint that and if I could look at my own work and, and, and be in that place and not be in the world where I was, you know, didn't have any friends or got ridiculously burned for no reason, then maybe so somebody else could have that too, right? And then I started thinking, you know, that's actually a good point. If 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 I can give some of that kindness back, it doesn't matter if, if I get it back because I already went through the shittiest thing I could possibly go through. So, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. But if I could take some of that energy and, and put that out there and have people, you know, feel a little bit better or, or provide them a window into another place where they can feel better, then let's do that. And, and ever since then, my art has become more about just the illustrations that I do and, 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 and trying to incorporate that you know, the, the, the meta world, trying to make people feel better, trying to give people this connection to a place that they can relate to, where they're going to uh, escape into, where they can make new friends. Um, and, and you know, moving forward from there from now, it's good days, bad days, you know, strikes and gutters, as, as the dude would say. Um, but at least it's clear now what, what I, you know, what I want to do. So when people talk to me, like, oh, cool, you're, you're so positive. It's like, yeah, because... I know, I know the negative, man. And let's not do that. Let's not, let's not go there again. So, it's, it's contrast. That's my long-winded story. It's contrast, absolutely. Yeah. We talk a lot about here about things being not just simply dichotomies, but being spectrums, um, mm. and the effort that has to be put in, you know, to be positive. You know, to make that effort, to make that decision that you are going to try to put that out in the world or you're going to make an effort to try to at least brighten somebody else's day or or uh, it just your story just resonates 
so much with me. Um, I really appreciate you kind of opening up and talking about it. No problem. I mean, for whatever reason, magic was there and I latched onto it. It, it might have been anything else, you know, but it was I was so angry and so sad. And I had this skill of, of painting, which was terrible. But now I had an excuse to put in 100 hours a week and escape from the world. And then when I finally got out of that cocoon, out of that escapism, which I'm still in, I figured that you can turn some of that into um, a positive as well. So it, it, that's, but that's, you know, you see the outcomes of it, but the process is so long and, and, you know, and what's at the heart of it is so hidden and you don't always see it. And even if we ask, you don't always get the answer. So I figured that I will never know where some people are coming from. I will never know their stories. What I do know is that my outcome can be something that they can latch onto. And that's not some sort of delusion of grandeur, you know. It's not thinking that my work can change the life of somebody. And that's not the point of what I'm trying to do. But from experience, I know that if you're really, really down and you get even a, a, a iota of positivity in, in, in your life, that can make so much of a difference. And for some people, that's magic. For some people, that's lore and magic. For other people, that's an artist who listens or somebody who sends them a kind note. So if I can take a few minutes or hours out of my schedule and incorporate any of that, that's me then adding something to the world in a positive way. And if everybody does that, then, you know, less people would feel shitty. It doesn't eliminate the problem. And that's not the point of eliminating the problem, but, you know, at least it's adding something positive rather than taking it away, you know? Yeah. But positivity gives them a place to sort of rest. It gives them a, a thing to build from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, if, if that's a basic land with a, with a gag on it, if that's, you know, the best I can do, then that's, I mean, I will do that. And I will do that a million times over if I have to. One of my favorite artists in, in my medium of, of theater is, you know, Charlie Chaplin is who I've learned a lot of life lessons from. And, and he talks about, it, this, is, this is one of my favorite stories about him, but he talks about uh, somebody asking him, you know, about the tired slipping on a banana peel gag. And he's like, how do you still make that funny? How do you make somebody slipping on a banana peel funny? And he's like, well, you, you can't just by itself. But what you can show is that person almost slipping on the banana peel and instead avoiding it and stepping into an open manhole. And, you know, it's it's that whole <laughs> thing of, like, constantly, though, you are you slip, you fall, you pick yourself back up, you keep doing it over and over again. And then finally, when you right. overcome that hurdle, there's going to be another hurdle. You're going to fall down a manhole, but then yeah. you're going to climb out of that and you're going to figure it out. And it's all ridiculous. And I mean, you know, that's, it's kind of, it's great to hear that you have taken those things and rebounded from that and used, and really, I mean, use that to fuel your work. That's, that's another thing too, is we talk a lot about how, I mean, how you can have, Hobbes has said many times you can have emotions that are destructive. You can have, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sort of moments in your life that can be constructive or destructive. There aren't positive or negative emotions. It's how you use them, how you interpret them and how you put them into your life or, or let them go. And it sounds like a lot exactly. of what you did yeah. is put it back in this week. Well, this week being when we're recording the cast, Wizards announced Magic Fest, um, which has been kind of something that has been very received in many different ways, I would say, from extreme 
hatred to <laughs> I mean it just fear of the unknown uh, the idea that the naming I mean Titus I like love mentioned the fact that fest does not necessarily mean the same thing to him as it might to us that think festival and and with the nature of we've talked about this before we we social media especially tends to breed extreme viewpoints and yeah. so but the overall concept behind this is something that we've talked about on the show way back in our GP episode is that GPs for us especially we want to see morph we want to see less emphasis on the main event and more emphasis on the community and we've seen that already with as much as people would like to harp on the fact that main event attendance is down, side event attendance is actually up and through the roof. And side events yep. are being run nonstop while you're at an event. We recorded at GP Minneapolis, and one of the hardest things we had was overhead announcements of rounds starting and events starting because there were so many side events firing the entire time. And I think for a long time, it's well, not for a long time, the last year or two, it has been the fact that wizards channel fireball all of them have recognized that side events and other things going on at gps are actually probably the business model that they want to run to now to date what that has meant though is the, the part of the communities that have made this possible have been largely fan driven or self-driven by say the artist who are responsible to get themselves there to even pay for booths which is very different than what we know of as the convention model where yep. artists are paid to be there. You are special honored guests. Certain cosplayers may be, I mean, we had this with Sprinkles in the past where she really came as an honored guest of Wizards for certain events. But mm -hmm. the, the cosplayers that we interviewed, they, they're responsible. They get themselves there. They do their costuming. They're, they may get some packs. They may get some stuff for walking around the site. But it's really not done. And there's, there, there is fear among the community that Magic Fest is kind of that idea of, I, I said yesterday, slapping lipstick on a pig. It's a new name, but without real changes. And I was hoping, Titus, that you could talk about, because you've, you've mentioned kind of reaching out and trying to get this change for artists, what the experience is like for you right now to go to an event. Right. Well, first off, I'm, I'm firmly right in the lipstick on a on a pig camp the idea of magic fest right now has not been defined at all the idea what what people think and hope it'll be i'm totally on board i i uh, i love that you know and and if that means keeping the name then fine keep the name the issue right now is that you're trying to consolidate two things which are not compatible at all gps are about competitive magic the magic fest is about casual magic right there there is no the gap between them is simply too great either a game is about competitiveness and about tiny margins and making money or it is about a celebration there is no competitive dungeons and dragons right there is no competitive comic con it it simply doesn't matter so i think what you're fighting against is on the one hand a push to make magic as a game a scene where there are serious competitors fighting for prizes because that's interesting to watch versus a place where people come together hang out celebrate their their hobby and the planes and the stories that they like and the artists 
uh, and cosplay that, that goes along with it. The two are so far apart that when they say Magic Fest, I have no idea what they mean. If it's a Comic-Con, then what room is there for competitive magic to be there at all? Like, either it's a celebration or, or not. And trying to smush the two together requires a really good plan of how you're going to do it. How are you going to celebrate these people coming there? Uh, you know, and, and and right now they've provided us with no answers whatsoever, um, which is which is making me highly skeptical. Like, am I for the idea of turning it more into the Comic-Con model? Absolutely. Because right now um, we have to sign up on a schedule. So we get a schedule from Channel Fireball. And I know that not every artist receives this invite. So some artists they deem not cool enough to get an invite to the GP scene to begin with, um, which is, you know, probably more of a good thing than a bad thing because you don't want to show up to a GP where nobody knows who you are. But it, it does, you know, leave you with a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. So we sign up for that and then we get told we can go to X or Y GP and whether or not we get sponsorship. And sponsorship used to mean a whole bunch of things. And now the only thing that it means is that you get your hotel paid for and, and they will say look you can go to this other gp if you want but you have to give up your sponsorship for this you know gp that you signed up for and the problem is we're just seen as vendors we are seen as people who go there to make money and we're not we go there to make money because we have to spend so much money to go there in the first place so it's a vicious cycle um People say that, I mean, now it's a norm that we charge for for signatures, and we didn't. So why are you charging for signatures? Because we have to pay for <laughs> our flights and sometimes our hotel, definitely all of the merchandising, and sometimes a booth to go along with it. I was at a GP where they ran out of water. They brought me a bottle of water and said, this is the last bottle of water that we have for you. If it's empty, just go to the bathroom and fill it back up. And... Now they talk about Magic Fest being a celebration. Like, all right, cool, show me. Show me some changes because I have been pushing for this for such a long time. I had been planning on doing a big celebration for uh, GP Amsterdam last year where uh, because of my wife and other magic artists, Suzanne, we know a reenactment group and this was for Ixalan. So they had tons of you know pirate outfits. They had one of those giant walking dinosaurs. We would get the works. We would put sand there, treasures, have them walking around as cosplay, have a giant dinosaur there, all of that stuff. I, was, I had contacted a few friends of mine from Sweden who have a professional film crew. They were gonna come out. I had a cosplay photographer friend of mine from London. I was gonna fly her out and it was gonna cost me an absolute fortune. But I was like, I don't really care because I wanna show them how it's done right talk is cheap i'm done with that just show me the stuff don't talk about it show me this stuff and i got no response from them whatsoever whether i either could do it could not do it it was a little tentative i asked for a bigger spot to do it and the whole thing was such a mess where i for i don't know seven months was trying to plan this and i got nothing back and in the end i canceled gp amsterdam and went on uh, early honeymoon with my wife. I thought, you know what? Never mind. This is this is ridiculous. I'm trying to make all of this stuff happen, and it's just not working out. So every time somebody says to me, "Oh yeah, we're we're reinvesting this into the artist," show me. We have these great plans. Don't tell me. Show me the plans. Because as long as you're not showing me this, all I can see is me spending fifteen hundred bucks traveling for four or five days and i'm not even calculating the cost of not being able to work right because we have a day rate and i'm losing wednesday thursday and monday 
if I'm being, you know, or and, and Friday, if I'm saying that I'm not working in the weekend, which I shouldn't, but am. So I'll, I'll give them as a freebie. So I'm losing three days worth of work. I pay 1500 bucks at the beginning, um, you know, for merchandise and all that other stuff. And then they have no water for me. And I sit there for 10 hours a day. And I have to be friendly to every single person who comes to my booth because if you're not friendly one time, you'll be known as the asshole who was rude to a person. And I don't want to be rude to people. I want to make sure that every single person who comes to my booth has a good time, you know, because I know what that means. I was at the other side of the booth before as well. And when I go to other artists that I haven't seen before, I'm friends with and I like their art, I want to make sure that they have a good time too. But you are stuck with all this baggage that you bring with you and you're trying to have a good time. And now here comes this announcement saying we're going to make everything better, but there's no details on how. And then they expect me to be positive. You know, I'm all for being the voice of positivity and I'll fight for it every time. But I'm I'm just so done with talk. Just show me. It's been it's, four years. Right. You know? It's the action piece. And that's one of the things that I think that I've been concerned about. That's been my thing is that this announcement is is, is I want to be hopeful because I've seen a shift for when I've gone to GPs, but it's also been largely fan driven for those aspects. Right. So when we yeah. did GP Minneapolis, we had, you know, barbecue at my house. We organized a cube event offsite at an art gallery. We, you know, set up recordings. We did all this planning from us, you know, and, and the cosplayers chose to come a lot of them because it was close and they, they're friends and they came. So we've seen that it can work. And, and so to me, part of me heard the announcement, I'm excited. I, and then as that kind of wore off, and, I, and we've had a lot of discussions about this because I think there has been a lot of negativity in our community lately, and it, it mm -hmm. seemed like just one more thing. I want to know the plan. Does this mean that we are going to have a separate room for panels and artists? Um, I mean do we have the main hall where we have the, the, the main event and we have side events? Because that is, I understand their business. That's side events are going to make them money. They're high profit margin and they do fire. And I think there is a place to have that outside of say the, the really the GP because the GP to me is becoming less and less reasonable. Prices have gone up. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ability to cash and make prizes. I mean, I, I've made one day two and I knew I had no chance at prizes and I played magic for 10 hours. I might as well just grind a bunch of side events and get some packs. So exactly. can we do that? If we do though, we have to have a separate space. If So I'm thinking that when we were at GP Minneapolis, there was the hall next to the one that we were in. If that hall was specific to artists and cosplayers and casual play, this can work, but like you said, it needs to be, we need to know the plan. We need to know that this is not just a rebrand name. No. Well, and even yeah. thinking back to when we were on site at GP Minneapolis, just listening to some of the cosplayers saying, you know, Turbo Town, where you had a lot of the cosplayers posting up to play, you know, a round of modern with somebody who wanted to play or a commander pod or whatever, you know, that was not there was not even really a sign there wasn't really a lot there to sh say like hey come on over and, and play casual like we're here to do things but you know this is just casual zone like that you know there is i i think there is a huge p 
part of uh, the the casual or non-competitive part of the magic community that, you know, doesn't feel as included with some things. And so it would be nice to believe that this means that this means those people are going to be brought in, roped in even even harder and brought into the tight embrace of what a GP can be. But mm. we don't know yet. We really we have no idea, like you're saying. I've pitched ideas where you could play against an artist with a challenger deck. Like you wouldn't bring yeah. your own deck, you'd have a challenger deck. And if you win, you get a signed card. You know, you could do the same thing. Play against somebody who cosplays as Nissa, get a signed copy of Nissa, you know, all that stuff. It's so easy. And what they do instead is they set up their own booth where they sell their own prints and their own stuff via Ultra Pro, where they have a playmat with my artwork on it that they can send for $10 because they bought 20,000 of them. Or you could go to the artist booth where you buy mine for 45. Right. Like you're moving in the wrong direction. You're yeah. seeing us as vendors and as such, you're setting up a competing booth where you sell your arts and prints and we're pitching all these ideas of how people engage with us and and that that's the response that we're getting. So it's like there are a million cool ideas. I pitched to them the spouse house where you have a dedicated area where spouses of people who are there and kids get to play magic, get to introduce the game in a completely different way where a kid sees a planeswalker. You know, this, this person, you want to take a picture, you want to play a game, you want to have a coffee. This is where you sit and you relax. You want to get to know about magic? Okay, that's here. You don't want to get to know about magic? Fine, we'll have some board games. We'll have other stuff for you to do. You know, we just keep you in the area because that's what make people feel welcome. You walk into a GP Amonkhet, let's have a giant sand sculpture pyramid there. That's cool. Uh, but A no, literal because... sandbox for the kids. I mean... <laughs> yeah, it, it, there, there's a million ideas, but the problem is those cost money. Those are intangible, as in you can't put a metric on it and how much money it brings back. So it's just a cost. Right. And it's about the GP aspect anyway, which is, you know, the, the main event. So... And this is what I'm talking about. They have not talked about the fact on how they're going to consolidate the casual aspect of magic with the competitive part of magic. Creating that split is great. That was already there, though. You just gave it a name. Right. So. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you wanted to come on and, and give us that perspective, too, because from my standpoint, I there's a lot of implications that I kind of wasn't seeing, and based on people's reactions, I knew I wasn't seeing them, because I'm... For, my first reaction was that they're just giving a name to something that already existed, which I thought was a good step. Um, I know people who've been playing Magic for many, many years who didn't know you can just walk into the floor. They thought that the GP main event cost was the cost to enter the GP because we use the same name for both things. So I liked that differentiation, but there is a lot more going on there, and I'm, right. I'm glad to get that perspective. And it's, and I would it's say a shame to, um, not to, sorry, it's a shame to not to get too heady into, you know, socioeconomics and politics, but this is, I mean, Magic and Wizards <clears throat> and Hasbro are corporations that function in a capitalist society. They have to operate in a capitalist system. And like you're saying, Titus, those things that provide the flavor, the environment, the things that intangibly keep people you know, for lack of a better term, in the store can't really be quantified yet, or at least the way that Wizards is looking at things or Hasbro is looking at things right now cannot be quantified yet. But we know yeah. we know at least 
you know, from stories from personal experiences that it would engage us that much more. And by, by, you know, association would probably bring people in new customers who would want to purchase more, would want to purchase their first deck or their first card or their first piece of art. But it's, but it's bigger than that as well. I've been saying it for years that magic is the best unknown brand in the world. Everybody knows magic. Nobody knows what it actually is or what it's about or what the, what the characters are in it. And that point of brand awareness and brand building has never gotten enough attention from them. You right. say, yeah, it costs so much money building that up. Yes, it does. And we don't want everybody, we, or we don't know how many people are going to play the game. Like, it's irrelevant. The game, the card game, is not your product. Your brand is the product. Mm-hmm. You want to sell t-shirts. You want to sell bobbleheads. You want to sell everything but the actual cards. Because you're not making a profit off a of cardboard, and you're not going to make profit off a of cardboard much longer. Where you're going to make profit off of is your brand, mm-hmm. right? So what they needed to do 10 years ago is invest more into GPs as a venue for creating brand awareness, right? So if they're doing that now with Magic Fest, that's perfect, but they don't half-ass it. Make sure that a Magic Fest is an actual fest. Spend money. And I'm skeptical because it's Channel Fireball running it. They have a completely di- they're not tied to Magic's brand identity, right? right? It's not their responsibility. So if Channel Fireball would run the main event, and wizards would organize the magic fest part of it then you get my attention because then i see a possibility for them to spend a lot of money on it now what i see is the cheapest bidder getting permission to run the events for profit right again that's not that's not what we're looking for right it's the bottom line of the bottom line again right i will say that i used to work at comic con in san diego and one of the things that we had was a magic room and part of that was we had booths set up outside where we were teaching all comers because we were at an event that was people that were interested in other IPs and other things to do with nerddom. And they would come and we would have the starter decks and we would teach people how to play and sit there and teach them. And then there was a room right behind us with events going on and you could buy a starter deck and there was a league going on where you just played starter decks against other people with starter decks. And that was... You know, that that was 10 years ago. I mean, that was already... I mean, so it's... I don't want to spend at, too much time on Look at how huge topic. Comic-Con <laughs> and Gen Con have gotten. I mean, honestly, that, that willingness to embrace the... Like you're saying, Titus, the brand investment, that, that baseline right. foundation has really made them into icons. I'll say this. 15 years ago... When you talked about superheroes, you thought about nerds sitting in their basement reading comics. Now, t-shirts are everywhere. When you talk about Magic the Gathering, you think about nerds who smell bad because the one image went viral on Reddit, and that is it. You're not going to buy an $800 statue because the association is so bad. You know, superhero and comics did it. Magic can do it too, but they have to invest in it. They had to invest in this a long time ago, but... You know, it, we're here now, so we might as well do it now. But you can't talk about it. You have to do it. Yeah. So I think our message here is being Nike. Just Give us right. action. Yeah. Just do it. That's our show. The show can be found on Twitter at Goblin Lore Pod. Or you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at 
goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. Titus Lunter can be found at Titus Lunter. That's L-U-N-T-E-R. Joel Redman can be found on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q. And Alex Newman can be found at Alexander New M. Goblin Lore is a member of the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy celebrates how geek culture can save the world through podcasts, videos, blog posts, community outreach, education, and convention appearances. It's a network of like-minded creators who believe that all different facets of nerd culture are important to understanding how our minds and communities work. Check them out at geektherapy.com or at geektherapy on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.